0: How you doing, guys? We're back with another European Fitness Network podcast after a huge absence. This is our second one after our uh, absence. On the line is my great friend, the industry, Sammy Dowling. Sammy, how are you doing? Good, Dave. How are you? Thanks for having me on. No problem. It's only took about a year and six months. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, way, yeah. that's the way we Sorry work. about that. No, it's my fault, uh, mostly. But uh, So basically, guys, I have Sammy on the line. He's probably his CV is immense and most of you listening and this well a lot of you have heard of him but probably more haven't. Um so Sammy I want you to uh, really sell yourself today on the podcast, okay? <laughs> okay. So Sammy, do, do you want to just give yeah, do you want to just give us a brief background from basically starting off in the industry, uh, teams you've worked with and I think that will get the uh, listeners interested straight away just to hear the teams you've worked with.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, before I'll just chat about teams I work with. um, I suppose I got into the industry um, primarily because when I was a kid playing sports, my main my main passion was to try and be a professional sports person. I'd like whether it was I mean I was playing rugby and I was involved in athletics, um, and I thought there'd be nothing better than doing this full time and getting paid to do it. Uh, Unfortunately, I wasn't talented enough in either of those sports, so I knew I wasn't going to be a professional athlete. um, But I really enjoyed learning how to kind of get stronger, get faster, get bigger, although that took an awful lot of time. And that came as a result of uh, pretty much when I was 14, my auntie gave me um, a book as a Christmas present, which was the RFU Guide to Fitness for Rugby. And there were a couple of different kind of plans in there, um, training schedules. Now, obviously, this required for you to have equipment, which I had none of, and my parents wouldn't allow me to have any weights. So I had to try and get quite inventive of how to create a, a barbell of sorts so um, I used to play ice hockey when I was a kid in Holland and I still had my ice hockey sticks I used to fill up milk bottles full of stones and sand and attach them <laughs> to the end of the hockey sticks and use them as my barbell until I got to a point where my parents thought this is pretty dangerous so let's get the kid a, an actual <laughs> barbell set um, Really? so I, I was I kind of I exposed myself to some form of resistance training um, in my early teens and saw improvements of that on the pitch, pretty much true elements of speed pretty quickly. I mean, I got stronger, but I didn't get that much bigger. Um, but that kind of kind of improvements in speed for me had me hooked. As in, okay, if I want to get faster, got to keep getting stronger.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and, and that just intrigued me. You know, I was thinking if I can't be a professional athlete, um, the next big thing, the next best thing would be to to try and work with them. Um, of course, my career guidance counselor teacher thought I was absolutely nuts in school and yeah. tried to just sell me engineering in UCD. She must have been getting a few quid on the side or something like that to try and promote everyone in school to do engineering in <laughs> UCD. And <laughs> there wasn't a chance I wanted to do that. I said, no, I want to I I be a, a strength and conditioning coach and yeah. work my way. i my way into the industry, shall I say. Yeah. So, yeah, look, the, the, the teams, I suppose, I've worked with um, over the last 10 years, um probably one of the most notable ones and, and, and the one I worked full-time with for for the guts of eight to nine years would have been Leinster Rugby. Yeah. Um, worked at, initially was, was was there as a part-time staff member, so worked uh, with the Leinster Utes, which would be their under-18 club players. And um, th- those players would come together on a Monday night in their different yeah. regions and I would have been based in the southeast region in Enniscorthy, and then they'd they'd come together during the pre-season,
2: yeah.
1: uh, twice per week. Did that for a year and a half to two years before um, applying for what at the time was the the first time they they had full-time sub academy coaches, which was a, a program that was driven in combination with the sports council and the IRFU. So they ran that through the four provinces. Yeah. Applied for that. Don't really know how I got it. But I did get the job. I remember actually going for the interview, not telling anyone about it. Yeah. Um, because I just didn't think that I would get it. Yeah. 20, 21 years of age. Um, wow. And, 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 and I like count my lucky stars and was very lucky to get at that such young age. And also kind of be mentored. Like I worked with Dave Fagan, Dan Tobin initially. Mm-hmm. And those guys very much kind of shaped my S&C philosophy. And, and then later on, Tommy Turner as well, and throughout mm. and the years went through the sub-academy and then worked my way up at academy level as an SSC coach there and, and worked under uh, both Tommy Turner and Brian Cullen. And during that journey also um, worked in the GAA, Gaelic Football, with yeah. Dublin. Yeah, um, Got exposure there, uh, worked with them from 2009-2012. In 09, was brought in as an assistant uh, under Dan Tobin. Right. Yeah. Uh, Scott Dan would have previously worked with them when he was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. I know they went through a spell then where they um, didn't want to do any S and C for a while. That didn't seem to work for them. So
2: um,
1: <laughs> I think they 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 had a disastrous campaign. And in fairness, the coaches and the and the players realised that that's an, an integral part of their uh, their sport. Um, Dan came back on board with them and kindly brought me with them. Yeah. Um, which was a great experience, um, particularly year one, where I was working under him and as his assistant. Um, Dan then got promoted in Leinster, so unfortunately couldn't continue on and um, handed over the reins to me then in 2010. Right. And that went on, won the All Ireland 2011. Um, yeah. N- not so successful the following year, and then the management changed. A year after, did a year with County Down. Yeah, no, so I'm interested not, to hear this. Niall Moyna brought me up there with him, so I would have been um, worked closely with Niall when I was with Dublin, mm-hmm. and um, Niall would have went up to County Down after Dublin and, and brought me with him, so did a year there. Mm-hmm. And then after that year, um, I haven't worked with uh, the county uh, football county GA system since, um, I've kind of... Remained a little bit quieter due to primarily due to work, um, with Lenser at the time, and and but kept yeah. myself involved in the club structure. Would have been involved with St Vincent's when I was working with Dublin, um, and then handed that over to another S and C coach, still doing a fantastic job there, and work kind of more locally with uh, with Kula ever since. Wow. So yeah, there. I think they're the team. I mean, Trout obviously. My journey in then and the RFU would have worked with um, numerous kind of national teams. So you would have been kind of encouraged to uh, to work with a, a national team. So I've worked with like the likes of the Arshon under 18s team, the Arshon the 19s for a couple of years, the women's team as well. Yeah. Um So you've had a exposure to different
0: teams. Well, so uh, basically. Um, all the best teams in Ireland.
1: <laughs> uh, they're, they're, they're definitely they're definitely very good teams. Um, yeah. um, very very competitive teams for sure.
0: Yeah, I don't know, I'm only joking But uh, <laughs> Obviously the two teams I support, so there you go. Uh, just <laughs> Thank I- God. I- interested to hear about the the progression there. So you basically you are a sort of you could write a book on the history of S&C in this country. Can you just talk about how for example, it, in, what was it, 2008, that Dublin didn't even do S&C, which is, maybe someone listening in now wouldn't believe that, but they didn't. I mean, it was kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they would have definitely done some S&C before that, and I think they just wanted to change things up a little bit, yeah. um, which, which I think is fine. And, 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 and to be fair to them, they reviewed it objectively and and, and realised that you know it was an important part of their development. Mm-hmm. Um and, and and I think even when they reintroduced it I mean it's not like they had a lot of ground to catch up because it was implemented before that um, I think it's absence for a year just probably more from um, a robustness point of view and injury management point of view w- w- was quite evident that, that that it should be an integral part of their program um, and, and that that then developed on like when, when Dan came back in and, and he brought me on board in 09 you know we were only there from October to April because that's previously what they did. You know, it was like, oh, we, you know, this is what works first. We do it for seven months and then they go into the championship and then we start back again, you know, a couple of months later. Um, and and then it was quite good to sit down with the coaches. Went down and handed it over to me to sit down with them and go, look, I think this should actually be a, you know, a 12 month periodized plan. You know, we don't just drop <laughs> any gym based stuff. After seven months and, and expect us to be able to pick back up where we left off you know yeah. four months later or five months later um, and they were very open to that like guys like Pat and Mickey and Niall and the physios you know were really good to work with when when you presented that with them yeah. so the following year was able to, to build into a you know a full 12 month cycle
0: so in other words common sense prevailed but again I'm old enough to remember when and it was probably it obviously still happens but any team even county would call you. And they just expect the pre and and give you a handshake and off you go. And I yeah, literally, I I'd literally meet them and I'd go, "This is a waste of time." <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're better yeah. off just playing football.
1: Um, no, I, I think the guys were really good. I mean, they always they always reflected pretty well on things, and and, yeah. and, and 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 we're happy to kind of listen, um, which which I think is which shows a, a great sign of, um, yeah. I don't know, well not not just maturity but experience on their part as well. Um, and, and I suppose they would have looked to other sports and, 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 and maybe Dublin at the time. And I know there are a lot of other counties that, that have caught up we um, were leading in terms of, well, probably due to primarily the resources that they have more than yeah. anything else and looked at other teams, you know, they looked at sports like rugby and soccer and, and, and what the professional teams are doing there and see how they can, you know, implement yeah. that into their sport and, and, and their training systems
0: yeah and just because you've come basically you're a very unique character you went at 21 was it and worked in leinster which was a professional yeah. team which is will probably never happen again let's be fair and um, yeah it, 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 probably. No, yeah. like nowadays you need a phd to work in um a commercial gym you know what i mean yeah. it's like um it's just sort of weird we'll talk about that later on but um could you talk briefly about say the challenges you faced when you worked with say the ga teams and I think it'd be interesting for our listeners because you've worked in a professional setup and then an amateur setup, but trying to be professional. Could you briefly yeah. just brush off, especially with County Down, maybe?
1: Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll start off with Dublin, then I'll lead on to County Down. Well, like the challenges, pretty much in year one with Dublin was like the gym sessions were scheduled. You were just given the slots, so you know there were there were evening slots, and it was like gym is on this night in and you didn't really have much of a, of a say in terms of how it's scheduled, how, how it potentially would conflict with the rest of their training. Um, so I pretty much identified, well, one of the toughest things actually when you're training players in the evenings, depending on where they're traveling from, is that you actually can't get them all the same starting time like we were based in dcu and to be fair like the players are very committed um and i know they're able to commit x amount of days per week to arriving on time for pitch sessions and it was probably a little bit harder to do that for the gym sessions so we just suggested to do it do the gym sessions in the morning do them first thing when there's no traffic as long as we get the session done in time and they're fed in time before they have to travel to college and work it was a much um more efficient way of getting the players together start times and finishing times um, and just, that, that would be very Sammy similar that to point,
0: just Sammy on that point because it, it was a sorry to interrupt you no it's um, okay it's my podcast <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I can't let that one go Is I just went you went through the logical reasons why you said let's train at probably let's say 7am was it 6am um, yeah 6 just
1: because we had to get the guys out yeah Um like bed and, and and still beat whatever morning traffic there's left there before they have to get to work or college
0: yeah so basically the reasons you did that was because purely logistical would that be correct yeah yeah so a lot of people and and we I, i've had coaches we should train early morning because the dubs did it and i'm yeah. like they the dubs did it because a they can do it because they all live within 30 minute drive traffic free. Yeah. and b they did it for logistical reasons so i'm glad that you were the first person to probably or you and a team of people were the first to implement that and you didn't do it for any mental toughness would that be correct
1: 100 percent like there's there's no and it's funny when people said that you know i mean i heard people speak about that that this is what dublin are doing so we have to do it because it, tough, it toughens guys up it was completely logistical and it it it, it, it immediately made sense um, it, even in terms of when we, we we're kind of when we entered January and we wanted to get guys who wanted like we want to prioritize certain guys for gym work that wouldn't be on the pitch and I'd need to be based in the pitch as well like it just couldn't be in two places at one time um, and it, 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 I mean to you and I and all other s coaches it, it makes complete sense um, it's funny how some people would perceive it as a, this is how we toughen people up we get them as early we get them up as early as we can like we don't want to get up early. Like I did not want to get up at quarter past five to be in the gym for six. Yeah. But it's the, it was the best thing um, to do for the team, so that's why you did it. If anything, it toughened toughened up the guys who had to travel the furthest up more. But it's yeah. you adapt to it, and it it actually meant that it was it, it was far more efficient for them.
0: Brilliant. And so um, after you were saying, then after that, before I interrupted, um, you were training and uh, the challenges you faced, sort of from. Dublin to Dan and stuff.
1: Yeah, so like like Dublin there were there were minimal so, so there were minimal challenges. The initial ones were just effectively changing the training schedule around and being part of putting the training schedule together as opposed to being told here are your training slots. So when you became part of the team after 9 you know, you're part of the gym sessions, uh, sorry part of the pitch sessions as well as game day, you become part of, you know, the the full coaching staff and yeah. you kind of coordinate everything collectively and holistically and, and the management staff were great for doing that because that's how they evolved and they figured that's what all the other teams do um, and, and with down it was a little bit harder to do that um, and to train them in the evenings um, and it's, it has nothing to do with their commitment levels it just they were spread across a greater distance to get to that one session compared to what the guys in Dublin were and it's probably a challenge that I'd say a lot of other yeah. uh, teams or counties face um, and that, that that would have been quite a, it would have been quite frustrating yeah. coming from that kind of Dublin setup to to Down, where that's just something you kind of have to get used to yeah. because they just can't uh, they can't accommodate it the way some other teams can.
0: Yeah, and that was a different logistical battle, but a more common logistical battle in the GAA than the Dublin yeah. setup because no one in Dublin, generally speaking, works anywhere else but Dublin, whereas you coach an awfully. A good chunk of the lads will be working in Dublin, and it becomes this sort of balance between bringing them down so much and training them and fatigue. And there's a lot of uh, stuff
1: yeah, to perhaps job. like like I, I know something that we tried. and I think a lot of other counties and other teams may do the same. Is kind of regionalising things. So if you've got a couple of players that are based up in Dublin, getting them to train together again, trying to you know trying to figure out how well that's working, where they're performing the training sessions. Who's keeping an eye on them? If that can be done at all, yeah. um, becomes more of a management job, and, and that's probably the biggest challenge when you're uh, when you're faced when, when you're faced with that situation. You know, as an S C coach, you become more of a manager than a, than a hands-on SC coach, which, which some of us like doing. Other oh, people like to manage, and there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah. I suppose that's the, those are the, the challenges you face. Then when you work with other teams and counties who are spread more
0: fascinating. So uh, we'll go into some sort of maybe technical stuff here because the listeners mightn't be aware, but you're a passionate um, weightlifter, and um, <laughs> well, more weightlifting coach now. Coach, than lifter, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I've seen you. I've seen you lift some. Uh, you're, you're a strong dude, and um, you know that really is a passion of yours. Would that be a fair comment?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I initially got involved in weightlifting. Um, uh, I, went, I went down to the Hercules Club. Uh, I met Harry Leach because I wanted to become better at coaching the lifts, and yeah. I thought of no better way than to actually um, learn how to lift um, by being coached by weightlifting coach. I mean, Dave Fagan was very good, and Dan as well, in terms of their knowledge. And Dave would have been a, a big lifter in his in, in his day as a competitive field athlete. Um, but you know, he he got to a stage where he said, "Okay, look, I've, t- I've taught you everything I can teach you. I think now, in order for you to learn more, you you, you need to get exposure in a weightlifting club." Mm. Um, and, and learned the tricks of the trade um, so did that and pretty much you know instantly fell in love yeah. um, and, and, and got competing pretty pretty quickly and, and coaching the lift as well because I was a coach by trade so it was you know it, it made sense to me to help people out um, in coaching the lift who wanted to improve yeah. their efficiency and, and their ability to compete yeah. and, um, and to this day that's probably still my, my kind of biggest passion is um is coaching people to lift more weight whether that be for strength or performance
0: yeah and so with that sort of knowledge there um you briefly kind of go into your philosophies as a strength and conditioning coach and i suppose like you know i'm famous for famous well not famous but i'm famous for having functional training.ie and people think that uh that means like have people standing on bozu balls and stuff but that's not the case but well, you can probably guess what, so could you briefly go through what your typical programs would look like or your philosophy? Yeah, of or course. Any, which, what's easiest you'd
1: describe look, that? Well, number one, you want to teach people how to move well, so like movement efficiency is important and identifying, yeah. you know, um, imbalances or, um, you know, imbalances, weaknesses. Um, thereafter, get them strong, you know, and, and look, by all means, you know I'm, I'm a weightlifting fanatic, but weightlifting, has, like, in terms of the classical lifts and their variations, isn't evident in a lot of my programming, uh, depending on who I'm training or how long I'm training them for. So getting people to move well and getting them strong, I mean, strengthening their pins, power and speed. So no matter how powerful, how fast you want to get someone, if they're not strong, you know, you're wasting mm-hmm. your time, get them strong, get them moving well, and then you can look at the other aspects of the curve. Um, so that that would be the bread and butter of my uh, of my of, of my strength and conditioning philosophy. Yeah. Um and I know recently well not not just even recently I think over the last couple of years there's a lot of talk of you know how much uh weightlifting movement should take place in the s c program of you know field based athletes. Um, I mean it all comes down to you know how long you're going to be coaching them for what age they're at what level they're at. Yeah. Um and and there are pros and cons to it both, and I think once an SSC coach is happy with their philosophy and they can back it up, yeah. whether it's part of the program or not, I think people waste too much time arguing whether it should or shouldn't.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know, but I I, I always look at it like this. That like I remember meeting you in the Hercs actually with Harry because we I did the same thing. I knew I was brutal at them, but I need, needed to. Learn them so at least I had that tool in the toolbox. But I think a lot of strength yeah. coaches um, dismiss them, but they don't have that tool in the toolbox. If that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, definitely. And perhaps you know I wouldn't want to speak for all of them that dismiss it, but maybe some of them dismiss it because they're not comfortable teaching and they don't they don't know yeah. how to teach them. And if they're not comfortable teaching, they don't know how to teach it. That's okay. I'm sure there's other ways they can improve an athlete's rate of force development or peak power that's yeah. totally fine but I wouldn't dismiss it as a result of dismissing for the sake of dismissing it. if you're uncomfortable teaching or you don't have to teach it that's totally fine and um, maybe you're similar to myself that when you're first exposed to learning how to do the lifts they were probably they played more part of they played a bigger part of your programming than what they maybe do now I know they did with me I think if you looked at my programming eight years ago
2: yeah. even
1: six years ago compared to now yeah. Um, I look at my programs from eight, six years ago, maybe even four years ago, and I'm, I'm shocked. I yeah. tear it up and put it in the bin, but that's
0: part of the journey. Until, given another 10 years, and you'll be reusing them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so could you briefly go into, say, a couple of the trends in S&C at the moment, or, or you know, you're someone who's worked with the top teams uh, in Ireland. So basically there would be a lot of people now dismissing back squats for team sport people and front squat seems to be less abused but it does sometimes get a bit of flack. And we also see the explosion of, say, heavy glute bridges off a of bench, probably, you know, uh, the hip thrust, I suppose. What's your yeah. thoughts on those sort of um, trends or where are you with that stuff at the moment? Yeah, so in terms
1: of... My experience over the last number of years, I think, it, and like I say, if you looked at my program eight and six years ago, you would have seen a lot of variation in terms of all the exercises that were in the, that were in the program, yeah. um, where over the last number of years, it's just been about keeping exercise selection very, very simple. Yeah. Um, so that you can actually, so, the, so that the strength improvements in the exercise are actually due to, you know, improving that neural adaptation as opposed to just learning how to technically get better at it. Um, so I know, you know, in terms of where, where, when we worked or when I worked in Leinster, we would have had variations in the squat exercise through both back squat and front squat, um, going below parallel. And it just presented a lot of guys with, you know, those kind of hip issues, um, and, and not that the exercise exposed them to hip issues, they, there was less adherence to being able to perform the exercise due to them having, um, hip impingement. So
2: yeah.
1: by changing the exercise selection and making a really simple, for example, like using a box squat, you're able to have more of the squad adhering to the program. Mm-hmm. And we're ticking all the, the boxes in terms of, you know, high force development, uh, high neural drive, um, you know, okay, the guys are going to parallel, some are going a little bit, a ab- little bit above, does it really make much of a big deal if they're above parallel versus exactly parallel,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, the people can argue for and against it, it's, it's more about getting gosh, stronger at the end of the day, um, so, like, that would still be kind of a staple part of my s- s- squat exercise, and um, with, you know, sports and field-based athletes, and even amongst my weightlifters, um, Weightlifters, why would they squat below parallel? Well, It's because they catch cleans and snatches below parallel, so they need to get their legs stronger through those ranges. Yeah. Um, I know Mike Boyle's big on his unilateral strength and 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 doesn't. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't like coaching or including the bilateral squat in his programming. Um, and he's got his philosophy for it, and you know I'm not going to really argue against it. If he gets if he gets his athletes stronger and they perform well, yeah, I think that's pairs. totally fine.
0: Yeah. Who cares, like, you know, if, yeah. if twirling plates, standing on one leg gets you strong and you don't get injured, who really cares, like, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that'll work, by the way. But <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> just another thing, um, just one of the names that's jumping out uh, with Harry Leach there, obviously, in weightlifting, but another name that jumped out would be uh, Dan Tobin, um, uh, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but an next sprinter isn't that correct?
1: yeah no Dan would have been I think he could be in the 400 meters
0: well okay so long story short in your program and how much would you emphasize say on running mechanics and speed work because i have noticing another little not a trend but uh, this has been around since God knows but I find in a lot of the coaches that are <laughs> developing beast athletes uh, especially in GAA because that's the world I live in have had a sort of mild track background or have done a lot of sprinting work with their athletes or what where would you be on that and do you do a lot of that with your athletes or is it more just the basics
1: yeah no and it would incorporate an awful lot into the warm-ups for your lower limb sessions and and, and pitch sessions as well um so that's where like in terms of your your, your mechanical stuff can be incorporated into all our sessions uh in the gym as long as you you don't need an awful lot of space to do that so I wouldn't even use if you don't have enough space as an excuse that you can't do it Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah warm-ups for gym sessions as well as pitch sessions uh, basic marsh drills wall drills um, incorporating that into their program as soon as you can I mean I know there's some people out there that believe that you shouldn't be teaching people how to run or waste time on Developing their speed work until they lift X amount times body weight. I think it's about incorporating those uh, drills as early as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of developing that further into like standalone speed sessions,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's all dependent on the level of the athlete and and the contact time you have with them. So if you have, um, for example, your 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 ideal scenario would be that you've got your your team and you can coach them. Uh, hands-on four times a week that's when you can split your your sessions up into you know your standalone speed sessions as well as your strength sessions as well as your conditioning sessions if you don't have that access it comes down to juggling you know and getting bang for a buck so it changes and varies in terms of the the, the contact you have with each team
0: yeah brilliant uh, of course it all goes back to the the contact <laughs> with the team doesn't it
1: yeah no exactly and then also the 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 length of time that you're going to have with that team you know if it's going to be a one-year contract a two-year contract a three-month contract you know it's are you going to be staying on depending on on, on the results you can you, you can show uh yeah you're going to be there
0: very good so basically uh you're no you're a, you're a coach that's done a lot of stuff that a lot of our listeners would love to do uh leinster dublin down uh to the name but a few um what advice would you give for the upcoming professional and do you have any regrets or mistakes that you'd love to uh, edit and please don't give the answer <laughs> i i i i understand the answer but i hate on this podcast people so there's no such thing as mistakes uh, it's just yeah if you
1: could go
0: into okay, that that'd adv- be a good advice point.
1: for upcoming pros um don't be afraid to make mistakes number one um the that that'd be the first thing I'd say, but also don't be afraid to admit you're wrong when you're wrong. Yeah. Uh, one of my biggest goals early on in my career, um, and I'm very fortunate that it happened, was to, to surround myself uh, amongst the best, or the people who effectively know more uh, than you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, s- seek advice on how you can improve, from um, from the people around you, because they know you know they they can pick up on your coaching style your coaching philosophies and they'll see the mistakes that you make so seek advice as early on in your career on, on on how you can make those improvements and don't be afraid to to, to get that advice and to get professional advice yeah.
2: um,
1: you know it's 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 something I wish that would be one of my biggest regrets is not doing that early on in my career
2: Right.
1: Um, working on my weaknesses uh, I was lucky enough to get that opportunity and work with the McNulty and you know he opened up my eyes massively in terms of you know in terms of how to improve them as well um, another one is get comfortable speaking in front of large groups you know young S&C coaches possibly when they're first getting work you know, they may only be getting exposed to small small groups or one on one work or
2: yeah.
1: work it's the, the you know the ball game doesn't change all that much when you're working in front of large groups apart from being able to clearly communicate yourself and get your messages across and being able to spot things that happen when you're working with large groups so get comfortable in front of large groups, both speaking to them and working with them. Um,
2: yeah.
1: And, you know, it's just unfortunately the way the world's going now. Um, and it's something I wish I had done an awful lot sooner, was was, was work on my academic side of my my skill. one of these kind of unique individuals, and it wouldn't happen nowadays, where I, 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 I don't have a degree in sports science yeah. and got a job working with a professional team without having a degree. yeah, um, It just wouldn't happen these days. Like you said, you pretty much need a, you know, yeah. a master's and, and, and some guys even a PhD. Yeah, um, And it's something I'm working on now. I just definitely wish I'd done that an awful lot sooner in my career.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, there's no point, I suppose, complaining about, like, I don't have a master's and I would have thought doing a degree would have had me set on doing all the other courses. But for lots of things now, I'm seeing the fact that I don't have a master's is just, just, blows you out the water and uh, they don't seem to care about the years of experience or anything but there's no point moaning about it. it it's the way it is you know i mean so i definitely people used to tell me i used to say it to people all the time i don't know if you would agree i say no work on your coaching you know do it do a simple course that gets you the insured and then you know get a mentor and you'll be a rock star trainer and now i'm like no get some academic stuff, um, would you be the yeah. same?
1: It's, it's, it's probably, a, it's a challenge about trying to fit them all um, yeah. or, or balance them. And I think, you know, definitely the, like the mentor one is an important one. I, I was very lucky early on to, to have a good mentor um, yeah. and to have him quite close to me as well, which which was just, it's just the way it worked out. Like I ended up moving in with that pretty much as soon as I start working with Leinster and, and that helped. Yeah, not only that I was working with them but when I was living with them so you're constantly bouncing ideas talking about how to improve things and and, and, and like I said that was that was luck um but don't be afraid to go out there and, and, and seek mentors I mean it's something I'm doing now in terms of improving my my, my weightlifting coaching um, uh, and so myself and Harry talk about quite often is that you know in order for us to to improve ourselves as weightlifting coaches you know we have to learn from the other coaches that are out there um, and we can't be shy about doing it because otherwise we won't improve. Yeah. And, and, and and seeking mentors doesn't, for me, I don't think it'll stop. I'll, you know, I'll never know it all. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that, that's very important and, and there's no shame in admitting that.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I, I fully endorse that point. And I think as soon as you get a bit lazy and you stop kind of meeting other coaches and stuff is when you start getting in a little rut. and and then uh, when you start meeting other coaches even i'm going to my local gym and i looked in a boxer size class and i saw one or two things i went oh i kind of i'm gonna rob that (laughs) you know the way they uh just little things you can always pick it up and i think that's a a massive point it keeps coming up but i don't think you can hear that point enough i think that's great um so another question i'm gonna ask you here is we got go ahead sorry sammy
1: yeah another point just to bring up is is get comfortable get working with the other coaches around you so you know particularly for S&C coaches develop a really good relationship with the rehab coaches and the physios the managers the different skill coaches because you've got to work together with them you know everyone wants the same thing everyone wants the best performance for the player and the team so the sooner you can develop those relationships don't see yourself as a, an individual that's outside of the rest of the developed relationships yeah. Early on, because you're, you're the guys you're going to spend most of the time with, or you should, you know, in terms of trying to get the best performance outcome for the players. The better the relationship the SSC coach has with the rehab coaches, the physios, and the other coaches, the the better relationship you're going to have with the with the players.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it it another vital point that you have to you can't be sort of um, going in all guns blazes to all the other coaches and telling them they're doing stuff wrong. That's a big mistake I made. In my first Me too. Yeah. Play- yeah you soon realize that that gets you sacked or gets you (laughs) you know Um, um, and
1: put you in your box
0: yeah like you know like (laughs) they can replace you a lot easier you know and that's good good advice so basically we're going to go in uh what would you change in the in the industry in the morning sammy so you've been someone that's worked at the top level and obviously you've seen what goes on what would you change in the morning for a bit a bit more fun
1: what would I change in the morning? That's a good one. Um, well, I mean, it's evolving and it's, and it's ever improving. Probably it's for the courses that are out there. It's to get the actual students more hands-on experience. I think a lot of them, when they when they get exposed, I mean, I guess we've had a lot of interns yeah. in Leinster and just their eyes are opened up to what actually happens on a day-to-day basis. And it's not that, you know... The theory completely out the window, but how you actually balance theory with, with, with the practical uh, applications and how to implement them.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think that's something they – I think a lot of – I shouldn't say a lot of courses. I think some courses do do this, but I think students need to get hands-on experience pretty much from the get-go. And I know there's a big insurance risk around the policy around, and I'm sure they can develop it, but I think the sooner that students – get experience into what actually happens in the field yeah. the better rather than waiting till fourth year and they get their you know their nine month work yeah. placement
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: i think that that i think the sooner all courses adopt that philosophy the the better and the sooner they actually teach them how to coach lifts teach them how to coach small groups large groups because it's all pretty much theory 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 and then they're meant to learn all that in nine months yeah and doesn't really doesn't really work that way. It doesn't work efficiently that way. Yeah. Um, for some, yeah, they pick it up pretty quickly, but but not a lot. And I I, I think that exposure earlier on, um, along their studies, would definitely prep them an awful lot better.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that hundred percent. Yeah, that's a great answer, and um, and one that needs to be taken on board. I know a few courses out there have started to really embrace that, and uh, long may it continue. So uh, we'll go on. I know you're a bit of a scholar in s S&C, so c uh, So uh, give us two books you love that you reckon everyone should read. It could be anything. It um, could be fitness-related or something that will help coaching. Okay, well, I, I'll, give you two, I'll
1: give you three books. <laughs> Ew, Because the, the, the first one, it, it literally, I wouldn't be doing what I do now today. because, And it's if it's available out there, it would be good for people to see – today what they think of it um I, I still have it It was published in 1998 it's the rfu guide to fitness for rugby and that for me when i was 14 you know back in 1998 mm-hmm. got me involved in the SC game it got me thinking about how to improve and um, that is one of my favorites and um, speed trap by Charles, number two yeah another
0: hard one to get
1: uh, yeah definitely uh number three and this one was recommended to me by mcnulty and it's kind of like uh, it's it's emotional intelligence by um daniel goleman and it's it's about learning very quickly as an snc coach uh pretty much went to pick your battles um because they're going to come and i wish that was something i read an awful lot sooner in my career
0: well i'm going to read that so who wrote that book sorry sammy uh daniel goleman Oh, right okay yeah we'll definitely put a link up to that brilliant brilliant and so, uh, just working with Endem, you, you learned a little bit there in terms of how to uh, off-end in terms of your own mindset, or to help your athlete's mindset. so a bit of both,
1: yeah, both. Well, it's it's well, definitely my own mindset and how to, how to identify uh, my weaknesses and reflect on them. Um, and and that's something that can be quite hard to do for for some people. Definitely for me, I'm quite a hot headed character. Anyone who knows me would definitely know that. And it's something you know you definitely can't be uh, all the time. Um, yeah. Reflecting on your work uh, objectively, and what what he also was quite good at doing was was painting a picture of everything that you're that you're trying to achieve steering you in the direction of making things realistic for you um yeah like I couldn't recommend that enough for s&c coaches if you can work with someone like enda because it's it's too easy for yourself to want to work on your strengths and not your weaknesses. You need someone who's a, who's an expert uh, who's got that experience to uh, to identify that for you yeah. and it's it you know it's it's something that you, you have to invest in it's it's
0: very hard to get for free so it's yeah. a it's a very worthwhile investment yeah absolutely that's some great advice there and um, it's something i think we all need to do more of and get other coaches to maybe coach you and different things like that you know Um yeah. so sammy what does the future hold i know you're not with leinster anymore and uh what's the future hold for sammy dowland going forward uh Man United or something like that. Now, <laughs> <it>?
1: <laughs> no, well, currently, uh, currently, I'm, I'm I'm working with uh, with the school of St. Jerry's working with their hockey, uh, hockey and rugby teams. Very much enjoying that at the moment. Um, so that's kind of like your your underage level. I've always very very much enjoyed seeing athletes improve, and you're going to see that an awful lot more the younger you, you, you kind of work with them, and you can instill those good habits. Um, still involved with rugby uh, at senior club level, so working with St Mary's Rugby Club there, and still involved in the J, working with Kula Football. Uh, yeah. I've got my weightlifters as well, and that keeps me occupied with Prodigy Barbell.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, pursuing my Masters in Carlo IT and SNC.
2: Really.
1: So at the moment, that's, that's keeping me busy, and I suppose I'll reevaluate in 12 to 18 months' time when I finish my Masters, and uh, yeah. not going to definitely rule any- anything out at all
0: yeah good man and um so you're doing your masters are, are you knee deep in the study for that or what how does that work? yeah
1: no it's quite good just started there a few week, or two weeks ago in carlo it and it's um it's an enjoyable course so looking forward to looking forward to getting my teeth stuck into that
0: brilliant brilliant and so that's great so sammy um fair play to you thanks for getting on the line i mean that was an action-packed uh, podcast to say the least um, and no, can the listeners find out more about you anywhere are you on social media or anything like that or? yeah
1: i'm not great on social media actually i'm <laughs> on i'm on facebook and i'm on instagram yes. yeah uh, you'll, you'll find me there you'll see the odd video but uh, yeah i kind of keep i keep a low enough profile but you'll you, you'll get me there if you want to contact me
0: yeah very good and so sammy just uh we'll just remind the listeners just before you go that we're sponsoring an event in ballsbridge hotel a lot of people you might Uh, no Sammy Saturday October 8th great event hosted by Ed Slattery and we've Paul Bunce Martin Kennedy Neil Welch and Marion Earls will be giving talk there and uh, you should get your ticket now if you haven't already there the website is www.esperformance.ie and uh, the best of Irish I think is what it's kind of been tagged and certainly uh, will be a great event Sammy thanks very much for being on the line, and sure, oh, thanks we'll, for having me, Dave. we'll definitely go to cinnamon for another coffee soon. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Okay, take care. Take care.